good to see you today and to welcome you to this time we have to study the Word of God. I, I really want to ask you to, to really invite the Spirit of God to speak to you through His Word today. We're going to be taking you on a journey of some really highlighted prophetic passages in the Word of God. And there is a spirit of prophecy that God opens up. It says the spirit of prophecy is the spirit of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he wants to do is open our hearts up and our minds up to bring clarity, to put things together that we normally wouldn't know how to put together. That's what the Spirit of God does. He takes Scripture, he opens up your mind, and what he does is he, he allows you to begin to see things that you didn't see before. And so what I want to do as we begin to pray, as we begin to see this, I want you to, to take a moment now, watch this video, and as you watch the video and you think about the world we live in, I want you to pray, Spirit of God, show me today, show me in your word how I can live a life as a faithful, devoted follower of Jesus Christ and be a light in a dark place. So let's watch the video. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. The search is underway for those who are behind these evil acts. I've directed the full resources of our intelligence and law enforcement communities to find those responsible and to bring them to justice. We will make no distinction between the terrorists who committed these acts and those who harbored them. Put a smile on your face. You know, you think about the world we live in. My daughter asked me, Dad, do you think the world's going to be around long enough for me to have children? I remember asking the same question when I was uh, in high school and the threat of the Soviet Union was great in our land. And so one of the reoccurring themes we see in the world, and it really dates back even to 1000 A.D., where the question was, is this a millennial end? Have we somehow come to the end of the world as we know it? It would only be 300 years later that Europe would face the Black Plague and one-third of Europe would vanish from the face of the earth. So we've seen cataclysmic events. We've seen crises of great magnitude throughout our history. And some people ask, what makes today different than any other day? And I think it's a valid question. And I think one that we have to answer not only historically, but also theologically. When we look at the Word of God, we have to know there are some things that are different today than, for example, were different 100 years ago. The really big thing that happened was in 1948, when Israel became a nation, the prophetic clock began to tick. 
And when that clock began to tick, things began to fall into place because a nation who was no longer a nation for, hadn't been a nation since 606 B.C., for 2,500 years, Israel ceased to exist as a nation. And then in a day, as Isaiah the prophet said, can a nation be born in a day? Indeed, God birthed Israel coming out of the ashes of the Holocaust of World War II. Just three years later, a nation is born that becomes the only really strategic, democratic friend that we have in the Middle East. That nation has gone through great trial, great turmoil. It is the fulfilling, however, the prophecy given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, given to all the prophets through all of the Old Testament writings as they spoke. Even Jesus, as he spoke on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 24, or rather the, the uh, Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 when he spoke about the end of the days and what they would look like. So when I say it's a different day, it is different because we're seeing literally more prophecy fulfilled in last day events in the last 50 years than we've seen in the last 2,000 years. That makes it a different day. What also makes it a different day is the ability of nations to do what could not have been done in a former day in a day, and that is bring destruction on, upon an entire nation, upon a, an entire people. One of the things I like to do is watch headlines and see how they line up with what's going on in the Word of God. And I ask myself, what, what relationship do these things have to where we are today as a people? I just pulled last week, I could have pulled 100 headlines, I only pulled three. I took them from different parts of the world so you could see what is happening. Here's the first one. It's, it was found in the Associated Press on March 7th, and the headlines read this. Furious over sanctions, North Korea vows to nuke the U.S. Now, if you know anything about North Korea, you know that it really is a country without hope. It exists for its dictator. It does not exist for its people. It is frozen beyond uh, belief in the winter. It becomes a soggy mess in the spring and summer. And even though it's filled with wonderful people, it is being led by a despotic ruler who is very close to insanity, if you ask me. His willingness to do something, at least to threat, is there. And we read in our papers that there is... uh, uh, really not much to worry about right now because they lack the ability to reach the United States. And I have it from good sources that that simply is not true. They have had that ability for more than a year. So would they release a bomb? I don't think there's any doubt. What holds that back? God's plan. I want you to remember through everything that creates drama in your life, everything that creates fear in your life, Always remember that everything is governed and held back by the sovereign hand of God who determines the times and the seasons and has a plan laid out before the history of man. So on one hand, you have to be concerned and you have to worry about the world you live in. On the other hand, there is no safer place than to be in the will of God, living out your life in the power of God, walking in the spirit of God, and serving the almighty God. Second headline, if Iran reaches critical point in nuke drive, Israel will attack. If you listen to the, to the outgoing testimony of the uh, army chief of staff, when asked the question, would 
Israel act without even blinking? He said, absolutely. Will they need our help? He said, they will not need our help. What you have to remember is whatever your view is of the Middle East, know this. A biblical view of the Middle East is this. That entire landmass from the north in Hamath down to the south of the Dead Sea, over to the river Euphrates and to the Mediterranean was land given to Abraham and his descendants by God Almighty. It was never a land given to a people other than that people. And if you believe the word of God and you understand the word of God, then you understand that whether you like the politics of Israel or not, we are obligated to bless those of the descendants of Abraham, the nation of Israel, and know that in return the blessing comes back to us. We are pro-Israel in this church. We believe in the promises, the Abrahamic promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and forward. And we believe that that's critically important. Put yourself in the place of Israel. You come out of the Holocaust, six million, probably more, of your relatives, your friends, and your family have been exterminated by the Nazi war machine. You establish a nation. You don't even know what's happening because prophetically, many of those who established Zionism in Israel had no clue about the prophecy. You establish a nation, and your byline is this, never again. We will never let our sons and our daughters go into an extermination camp again. And that has been the, the clarion call given by Israel since its inception in 1948. Put yourself in their place. Ahmadinejad, threatening, constantly threatening, first to deal with the Saturday people, that is the Jews, then to deal with the Sunday people, that, are, that is the Christians. First to deal with the little Satan, Israel, and then to deal with the great Satan, America. Put yourself in that place. Ahmadinejad has threatened more than Adolf Hitler ever did, and we stand back and slap his hand, which have been totally ineffective in diverting or discouraging all efforts on nuclear weapon development. We're living in interesting days. Third headline, Russians conduct huge nuclear uh, drill. And as we begin to think about what's happening, why do they do that? You say, well, that is probably routine, that's probably customary in what they're doing. But when you see the scope of it, when you begin to read some of the, th the headlines and read down to the details, and then you cross-reference the sources, so you don't just stop at the free beacon. You go over to a Russian newspaper, you go over to Al Jazeera, Al Gore's paper and news network. You go through these different sources, you begin to see what's happening in your world, and you realize that there's more to these stories than just comes across the headlines. Uh, on news, on CNN, or on anything else. Well, let me take you to the Word of God, and I want to show you an interesting place to begin to look at prophecy, and it's the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 2, and beginning in verse 1. The psalmist asks this question, why do the nations rage? Why are the nations in an uproar? Why is there always these tensions? Can't we all just get along? Can't we just Listen to the United Nations and everybody be at peace. When I was living in the New York, New Jersey area, we had many people that were part of the United Nations that were in our church. And, and 
off camera, they would say to me, nothing we're doing is working. We are totally, we totally lack the ability to change the course or create peace in our world. In fact, if anything, we are a detriment to peace. Coming from the mouth of ambassadors, attaches, and diplomats, that's a pretty significant statement. Why do the people rage? Because within every heart there is sin. In your heart and my heart there is a raging to want to control our life, to, to somehow go to heaven but do what we want to do. And nations, when collectively we have people that do that and we have people that are, that are leading that aren't sensitive to Jesus Christ and the word of God, you see why nations rage. And why do people imagine a vain thing? A vain, vanity in, in Scripture, the word vain means the empty pursuit. It means chasing the wind. We, try, we go after those things that really don't matter. We think they're going to bring us happiness and satisfaction, and they never do. And it says the kings of the earth, they set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together. They are set, they're in opposition against God, and then they get together in their, in their secret meetings, if you will, the meeting that happens behind the meeting. And it says they take counsel together, and what do they take counsel against? Against the Lord. Whether they're verbally saying we don't believe in God or whether they're saying no God for us or his rules are not applicable here, they're taking counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, that is Jesus Christ. And they say, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. In other words, we don't want rules in our life. We just don't want rules. You may remember I did the uh, the two-hour interview for the History Channel last year, and the last question the producer asked me was this one, and it was just kind of came off the top of his head. He says, what is it that keeps Phil Hotzenpuller up at night? What is it that scares you? Had I prepared for that question, I don't know what I would have answered, but instinctively I said, lawlessness. Lawlessness. When what we see in extreme becomes mainstream, that's what frightens me. There is no control, there is no way to manage what is happening. But now notice God's response in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. In the middle of chaos, God begins to laugh. It almost seems rude, doesn't it? And yet God is telling us something about his view of how serious we take what's happening in our world and how he is really in control of this world. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. And look what he says, yet I have set my king on my holy hill in Zion. You manipulate all you want, you maneuver all you want, but I want you to know I have already established a king. You know him as Jesus. He's coming back again, but he will reign and rule from Jerusalem. I will declare the decree the Lord said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations to your inheritance. Why do the nations rage? Because they don't have a king. They don't have a king Jesus. He says, ask of me and I will give the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You remember Satan offered that to Jesus in Matthew chapter, 20, Matthew chapter 4. He said, if you'll just bow down to me, if you'll just turn these stones into bread, I will give you all the nations of the earth. And he allowed that to pass before him. And he saw that and he said, here's a shortcut 
to the kingdom of the earth. But Jesus, even though he was fully God, he was also fully man, fully tempted in that situation, realized there are no shortcuts to the kingdom. There is no shortcut for you or for me to be fully committed to Jesus Christ. It costs something. It's the cross life. You have to die to self in order to live unto Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to give that to you, and you shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. In other words, when Jesus returns, he will rule with a rod of iron. In other words, he will rule with strength. He will rule with control. His first coming, he was gentle and mild and meek, and he told the the Sermon on the Mount about love and grace, and the message was rejected. They crucified him. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He was seen by witnesses. He ascended to the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit of God to be with us now to establish the church, and he promised them on that day, I will return. I will come back. When he ascended up, the angel looked to the disciples and said, Why you you stand gazing into the air? This Jesus you saw leave will come in the same manner again. Let's talk about the nations that are aligning, the alignment of the nations. The world is in a stage of rebellion, and lawlessness, we, we read in Scripture, will increase. The Bible refers to it as the mystery of inequity that is already working. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1 begins to unfold that for us. But when you look around the world, it is chaos. Let's go back to North Korea for a moment and just find out what's happening, not in the political, not in the geopolitical kind of world, but let's find out what's happening in the lives of real people who have families who just love one another and want to live in peace. 200,000 200,000 prisoners are held in North Korea, many of whom are Christian. They're held in six large Soviet-style forced labor camps, much like what Russia had, spread across the country, and they're dubbed as re-education centers. Centers by the North Korean government have been the final resting place. They estimate some 400,000 North Koreans have died in the past 30 years in those re-education camps. That's what's happening in our world. On one hand, we want to focus our, 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 our distaste to, uh, for North Korea by looking at its leader, but go past the leader. Think of the lives of people. Think about real people with real lives that love and laugh and eat and and have fun and pray for them. Pray for them. Let me tell you what else is going on. March 16, 2012, an interesting day, President Obama issued an executive order, National Defense Resource Preparedness. The president alone has the authority to take over all resources in the nation, that is, labor, food, and industry, as long as it's done to promote the national defense, a phrase so vague it could mean practically anything. I don't know what your political views are, but I really don't want him controlling labor, food, and industry. Amen? Homeland Security recently ordered 3,000 mine-resistant armored vehicles, much of what is used uh, in war, for the United States. My question is, why? Do you know something about coming civil unrest that you're not wanting to tell us? Is there somehow this bringing together of a lot of different thoughts of, let's control guns, let's control labor, let's, let's control even banks, 
And then let's be ready for unrest in our streets because surely it's coming. We saw what happened in North Africa with um, the, 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 just the rebellion that came there and, and uh, the, the, the unrest of taking over governments. And surely, even as it moved across North Africa, Saudi Arabia saw it coming and they said, we have to stop this. And one of the things they did was they paid every Saudi $3,000 and said, please don't revolt. Money was better than revolt. They said, fine. How long can you pay off revolt? How long can you keep a people at bay? The changes that are happening just this year in, in government in terms of, of, of moving and shifting around policy and people have changed America forever. Unless there is a revival, unless there is a rebirth, unless there are people who rise up and I believe that is possible. I believe there is a, a latter rain. I believe there's a revival that will come before the end of the day. I want to be a part of that. I want us to be in the middle of that. I want to see God open up the heavens and pour out his spirit like he's done in the past. I pray constantly, one more time, God, let us see an awakening in our land. One more time, let us see people come to faith in Christ, not by the hundreds, but by the thousands and even by the hundreds of thousands. It's interesting when it talks there in Psalm chapter 2, it says that the they, they people imagine a vain thing. If I go back just one chapter to Psalm chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, or stands in the way of the sinner, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law does he meditate both day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in all its seasons. In all that he does, he prospers. And so this godly man does what? He meditates on the word of God. This ungodly man in Psalm chapter 2, what does he do? He imagines a vain thing. Now let me show you something interesting. The word meditate, translated in Psalm 1. The word imagine, translated there in Psalm 2, in the Hebrew is exactly the same word. You know what the difference is? What you think about is what you become. You think on the word of God, you'll be transformed into a man or a woman of God. You imagine a vain thing, you allow your mind to go the wrong direction, and you will be like the person described in Psalm chapter 2. That's why the mind is the key to your spiritual life. What you bring in is going to affect your life. Godless, the godless use imagination to rid society of God. The crime described in Psalm chapter 2 is premeditated against God. It is perpetrated against God. It is planned. It is carried out by evil design. Have you seen the pushing out of God in just the last several years? You don't even have to go back 10 years. Just take a couple of years. How God gets pushed out of the scene. What's arrested the attention of Hollywood has been this series on the, on the History Channel, the Bible. Many of you have watched it, I'm sure. And as I've watched it, I thought, how thrilling is this? And they, they're looking back going, how did 13 million end up showing the Bible? And gosh, only a few million want to watch some of our skanky, worthless reality shows? I don't understand that. Last Sunday, we have a ministry in L.A. to young Hollywood movie makers and, and uh, models and musicians. 
And they're all committed to Christ. They're sold out to Jesus Christ. They don't hide their faith. They don't disguise their faith so they can get work. And we had a professor from USC Film School, created the story department there, and uh, she's sold out to Jesus Christ. And she got up and, and just for an hour talked about what's going on and how to make a difference in that industry from the inside out. And then one person asked this question, do you think the movies that we're seeing today are reflection on the, on the pulse of America? She said, absolutely not, and the Hollywood executives know it and they don't know what to do about it. You know why? Because they imagine a vain thing. You see, when you don't walk with God, your mind doesn't work right. It affects the way you think and you process things differently. The king set themselves, it says, uh, they literally take a stand. They said, we have had enough. Let us rid the world of God and the Bible. The Bible is the problem. How many times have I heard people say this to me? Well, I just think religion is a horrible thing. It's responsible for all the wars. And I said, I hate religion. And look at me, what? Yeah, I hate religion. I love Jesus, but I hate religion. Immediately get a response back, well, yeah, me too. Oh, you love Jesus? Well, let's talk about what it means to be a Jesus lover. To be a Jesus lover. Not a lover of religion. Religion is man trying to find God, but Jesus is coming to man and saying, I'll die for you, and you want to know how much I love you? I'll stretch out my hands, and I'll let them put nails in my hands, nails in my feet. I will die, and I will say, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. That's the Jesus that I want to serve. That's the Jesus I want to follow. Forget all the ritual. Forget all that stuff. And, and by the way, just to, just to kind of correct something, I think we're going to use a horse trough our whole history. I don't want some fancy fountain. Amen. There's nothing like getting baptized in a horse trough. We're going to work on it too. We're going to get it propped up a little higher. I had some conflicts trying to get down that low and baptize, as some of you well know, but we won't go into that right now. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord. The decision would be what we would call a united nation's decision. The whole world says together in this psalm, enough of God, enough of his word. They put it to a vote. They pass it with little or no discussion, with no veto power. The world is formally, finally, and firmly united. It is one world with no God, at least not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Rebellion is not something imposed upon society. It's a popular grassroots movement. The world will be united to receive a world leader whose coming was prophesied in the Bible. We know him by many names, but the one that most gets our attention is the Antichrist. Rebellion against God, against the rules established by God. They say, let us break the cords, let us break the bands, referring to the precepts of God, the moral and ethical teachings of the word of God. Men establish a new system of morality which promotes freedom, but really only brings bondage. Arnold Toynbee wrote this, the nations are now ready to give the kingdoms of the world to any one man who will offer us a solution to the world's problems. To quote Paul Henry Spack, the first president of the United Nations Assembly, we do not want another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all the people, to lift us up out of the economic morass and in which we are sinking. Send us such a man, and whether he be God or devil, we will receive him. That is what goes on in the minds of world leaders. We just want our world to be undisturbed. We want to hold on to power. We want to hold on to our position. 
and we will do that at all costs. Let me show you the kingdom initiative that God sets forth. God sits in the heavens and he begins to laugh. You know, when you laugh with God, it's a good thing. When I was a kid, we went to the amusement park there in Denver, and they had this giant robotic woman who was the laughing lady. And she was the fat lady who sang, and she would start laughing, and then she would sing. It was lovely. It was my favorite thing to do. I would just go and sit on the bench and eat popcorn and wait for her to start laughing. And then I would start laughing. And everybody that came by would start laughing. What I want you to do is I want you to start laughing with God. When you start laughing with God, you see things from God's perspective. God says, look, I've got all this taken care of. Just realize there's folly in our world, but I've got it under control. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath. He has distressed them in his deep displeasure. I have set my king I have set my king on my holy hill Zion. There are signs of the times. Here's the first sign, the signs of nature. There are things happening in our world, things that sometimes we just say it's just an act of God. Have you heard that? It's just the way our world works. Isn't it interesting that we're seeing more and more reports about, you know, there are meteorites, there are there are things happening that are coming kind of close, and then one lands in Russia, and then, oh, we've got that. We're glad we didn't get that one. And what's happening in our world? Well, Jesus said this in Matthew 24, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. All these things must first come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. It wasn't until World War I the first kingdom rose against kingdom in a battle. Fulfilling this prophecy, wars were always there. They were tribal in nature. They typically were the wealthy who had sufficient men to gather up and fight a battle. But as you begin to see, World War I was the first kingdom against kingdom where you had a world war. And there will be famines, there will be pestilence, there will be earthquakes in various places. All of these are just the beginning of sorrows. We are in the beginning of sorrow, Scripture says. There will be signs in society. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, woe to those who call uh, evil good and good evil. Woe to those who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You see how the thinking shifts? They take something that's bad and they say, no, that's good. That's good. Now, I don't know if you've ever read the Russian Communist News online. It's, it's a great piece. It is more conservative now than our most conservative news network. You may find it hard to believe, but I'm going to give you a quote. You can go there on your own. You can check it out. They are taking stands that, that you can't believe. We're not even close to making these stands. Here's one. This is uh, from Pravda, the Russian Communist News. The red, white, and blue still flies happily, but only in Russia. Russia still has St. George defeating the dragon with the symbol of the cross on its flag. The ACLU and other atheistic groups in America would never allow the U.S. flag with such a religious symbol. Lawsuits are plenty against religious freedom and expression in the land of the free. Christianity in the U.S. is under attack as it was during the early period of the Soviet Union when religious symbols were against the law. Russia Communist News. If that's not the pulse of where we are, I don't know what is. 
There are signs in the spiritual realm. Zechariah said in chapter 12, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone. You know what Jerusalem is right now? It's a heavy stone to the world. Pick up any paper, watch any headline online, and you'll see that at the very center of everything that's happening in the world is what are we going to do with Israel? Everybody's trying to take a sovereign nation and say and take it away from a sovereign nation and give it to another people. It's interesting that uh, the very people that want to take away part and give of, of Israel and give it to someone else don't want to give up anything of America to the Native American Indian. I'm just saying. It's a sovereign nation. No sovereign nation has the right to take a sovereign nation away, any part of it, and give it to another nation that doesn't, by the way, doesn't even exist. It's a heavy stone. It shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all the peoples. See, the entire world feels the weight of this. All who would heave it away will surely be cut to pieces, though the nations of the earth are gathered against it. It says when you try to do that, I will cut you to pieces. America has always been a pro-Israel nation that is diminishing as we speak. We are being cut to pieces, I believe in part by poor leadership, in part by a refusal to honor Israel, and in part because we don't, as a nation, love Jesus the way we need to love Jesus. I know it's not politically correct. I've never been accused of that in my life. But somebody has to say something. We're living in a day. Sin used to sneak its way down the back alley. Now it marches down Main Street, and it marches and sets itself in the seats of Congress and Senate and the White House and proclaims itself to know the truth. 1 Timothy says in verse four, chapter 4 and verse 1, the Spirit expressly says, now in the latter days, some will depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. God is the one who establishes kings and kingdoms. He says God will set his king in Jerusalem. The rulers of the earth, they try to determine the destiny of Israel, a free sovereign state, but God keeps his eye on the plan that he has for his people, Jerusalem and Israel. Jerusalem contended for, you know why? Because of prophecy. Watch this. Psalm 2 clearly says, I will put my king on my throne in Jerusalem. He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. You don't think demonic spirits, you don't think Satan knows that scripture? You know why it's hotly contended for? It's prophetic that our king, Jesus, will sit and he will rule and he will reign from Jerusalem. And all the nations will come. He will divide, it says in, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, he will divide the nations and he will separate them as a sheep from the goats. To the nations on his left, he will say, depart from me, and they will vanish from the face of the earth. It's prophetic. That's why there's tension there. This has nothing to do with Palestinians who've never had a language, who've never had a king, who've never really been a nation at all anywhere, who are rejected by all of their Arab brothers, 
Nobody wants the Palestinians and offered them refuge. None. 99.4% of all the land mass in the Middle East is owned by the Arabs and not by the Jews. Think about it. Less than 1% of the land mass Israel owns and we, they want it. Does that not tell you something's going on beyond geopolitical issues? Let me show you the return of Christ. The return of Christ. Psalm chapter 2 said, I will declare the decree the Lord said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. You know God is going to give Jesus the nations and he's going to know what to do with them, amen? And the ends of the earth will be your possession. When he comes, he will wear many crowns and the nations of the earth will bow down to him. You shall break with a rod of iron. You shall dash in pieces with a potter's vessel. Recently, I viewed uh, uh, the movie Les Mis. Thrilled by it, by the way. Most guys don't like that. They don't want to hear somebody sing for two hours. I loved it. Got in touch with my feminine side. Felt a lot better about myself. Some of you guys need to rough off some of the rough edges. Amen. But the setting, the French Revolution. The French Revolution, Ari, who stormed the, the, the Bastille and he scaled Notre Dame, tearing the cross from the spire and proclaiming, we are going to pull down all that reminds you of God. The history books record in French history. It also records the words of a peasant when he was dashing the cross on the ground and the peasant replied to him, then pull down the stars. You can take the cross down, but you can't take the glory of God for the, the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth show forth his handiwork. I want you to know there's coming a mark, a mark of the beast. Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 through 18, it says, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except he who has the mark uh, or the name of the beast and the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. It may surprise you that for the last six to eight years, uh, many of the Scandinavian countries have already been experimenting, already using a chip under the hand to scan and deduct directly from their bank account. We're not living in a day where this might happen. We're not even talking about something that's visible. We're talking about you could be next door to someone, you could be living next door to someone who would have that mark, you wouldn't have the mark, and the Bible says those who don't take the mark will not be able to eat, will not be able to buy, will not be able to sell when the Antichrist comes. During this time of tribulation that is coming, the Bible says there will be the proclamation of the everlasting gospel, Revelation 14, 6 and 7. Then I saw an angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Jesus does not have any reason to come, not come back today. People say, well, I think there's got to be these prophecies fulfilled. For example, we have to get the gospel out to the whole world before Jesus can come. That's not theologically correct. It's not biblically correct. 
It makes for good missionary messages. It's just not biblical. You know how, how I know? This scripture. You know what, who's going to get the gospel out? You know who can get the gospel out? The angel of Revelation chapter 14. He's going to take it to every nation, every tribe, every tongue. It's not about when Christ returns. God has got it all taken care of. I want you to see the door in heaven. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Now I saw heaven opened. Heaven only opens two times. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 and following, and then it opens again in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 and following. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it was called Faithful and True. He's not on a donkey anymore. It's not about Palm Sunday anymore. He's called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. This is following the battle of Armageddon. In that valley of Megiddo, the worst battle that's ever taken place, unlike any other battle that will ever be on the face of the earth. He judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his heads were many crowns. You know why? Because he's conquered the kingdoms of this earth. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Bible says. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of truth. John writes in John chapter 1, and now John follows up and tells us more, and he says the Word is coming again. He's coming again on a white horse. Heaven is going to split open, and the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses, and out of his mouth came a sharp sword. With it he should strike the nations. Out of his mouth comes that sharp two-edged sword of the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow, and it discerns the true intentions of your heart. When the Word of God gets in your life, you get uncomfortable, and that's a good thing. Because what it does is it brings me back to God and reminds me I'm not God. And it says he made himself, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. There's the fulfillment. Psalm 2, Revelation chapter 19, God pulls it all together. He says this is how it's going to work. This is when it's going to be. He himself treads on the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. God comes to the place in Revelation 19 where he says, I have had enough. You ever had those moments with your kids? I remember my dad had that moment one time. My dad was an army colonel. He really didn't take much from anybody, especially me. But he had that slow rising temper. You know what I'm talking about? You, just, you don't think he's mad, but he's fueling it for six months. He's just waiting for the wrath to release and I remember, I don't know how big I was and how old I was, all I can remember is I did or said something, don't even remember what it was. He grabbed me by the bottom of my legs, by my pants, held me upside down, took the belt off all in one motion, never missed a lick, and began to correct me on that place that doesn't get much sunshine. I don't know what I did, I don't think I ever did it again. Because my father had had enough. He'd had enough and it was time. There comes a point where God says, I've had enough. We're living in the times of grace and mercy where you have the opportunity to receive Christ. You have the opportunity to come to Jesus. You have the opportunity to love Jesus and for him to love you. 
but there is coming a time when his wrath runs out. He will tread upon the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. He has on his robe and on his, th- on his thigh a name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If ever there was a doubt in your life whether you know Jesus, if there's ever was a doubt in your heart whether you knew him and he would say, come into my heaven, come into my kingdom, if that doubt ever exists, if that doubt exists in you right now, can I ask you to do this? Can I ask you to call upon the name of the Lord? Can I ask you to give your heart to Jesus Christ today? The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord, here's the promise, will be saved. Rescued from darkness, rescued from wrath, rescued from judgment, rescued even from those things that we don't normally associate with being rescued from, like guilt. See, Jesus came to take our guilt away. Came to give us life and give it more abundantly. Amen? All who call upon the name of the Lord, here's the promise, will, will, not might, will be saved. If I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says I will be saved. You say, I'm saved. I know that I'm going to heaven. Are you a light in a dark place? Are you living your life for Jesus Christ? Are you committed or just kind of committed? Are you kind of, is Christianity a hobby for you or is it your life? Until Christianity becomes your life, you won't understand what it means to walk with Jesus. Let's stand together and pray. Father, as we come and we just bow our heads before you, Father, um, everyone in this room falls into one of two groups. I either know Jesus or I don't know Jesus. I'm either saved or I'm not saved. I'm either going to heaven or I'm not going to heaven. God, I can't know who that is. Only that person and you know that, God. Holy Spirit of God, I ask you right now to bring your powerful spirit of conviction on every heart here. For those who know you, Jesus, would you, if you know Christ, would you just pray right now and ask God to bring you to a new level of commitment? Would you rededicate your life to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I want to live for you. I realize I'm living in dark days and end of time days, and I need to be a bright light in a dark place. Would you do that right now? Would you pray for your friends that don't know Christ? Would you ask them to to receive Christ? Would you begin to invest in their life? Would you make that commitment to Jesus right now? You're going to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. For those of you who are uncertain or know for certain that you don't know Christ, you wonder, will I go to heaven when I die? Will Jesus receive me into his heaven? I want to ask you right now, would you just call upon his name? Would you pray a prayer like this one, Lord Jesus? I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on a cross for me. You were buried, you rose from the dead to give me life. And right now I call upon you to save me, Lord Jesus. Take away my guilt. Take away my sin. Give me new life. Put your Holy Spirit of God in me right now. Allow me to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I receive you, Jesus. Write my name in the book of life. I love you, Jesus. I wonder, was that your prayer today? 
That second prayer, did you pray and ask Jesus into your heart? Jesus said, those who confess me before men, I will confess before my Father. Those who deny me before men, I will deny before my Father. Will you confess Jesus before men? Will you be bold? Will you love Jesus? Will you love Jesus? If you prayed today and you received Christ, I'm going to ask you just to look at me right now. Just lift your eyes up and look at me. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you, sir. God bless you. Thrilled to see all the men raising their hands, looking up. Let me just speak to every one of you. Jesus loves you, not because you're good. He loves you because he can't keep from it. It's his nature. He died for you and rose again because he loves you. He gave you the gift of eternal life because he loves you. Follow him, walk with him because he loves you. The more you love Jesus, the more you'll be able to love others and share that love with more people. I want to encourage you to follow Christ.